It's good to be here this morning. Good to see each one. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's turn them to the text for this morning's message. That will be found in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We've been spending time over the past few weeks looking at some core principles that define us, some things that we stand on that we especially want to make clear in this day and age. And we've talked about what the Bible teaches on God, that He is Creator, that He is the ruler of all, and that He loves us so much that in our fallen state He has sent Christ to be the sacrifice for our sins, that we are to bow before Him in repentance, that we are to give our lives in service to Him because He is God. We are not. He is God. And He is worthy of all worship that we could give Him. We've spent time with what the Bible teaches about the family. Again, something in this day and age that is there's much confusion, and we talked about the simple fact of God's purpose in creation and creating us male and female and giving us the family, giving us marriage, and how that has been polluted and how we must stand on scriptural principle because not only does it not only is it created for our good and for our benefit, but it also portrays to us spiritual principles of God and His church. Today I want to finish up this little mini-series, if you want to call it that, on speaking about one more thing, and that is, where do we stand on the nation? The nation. What does the Bible have to say about that? So, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to pull a few principles out of here um, that, that speaks about uh, uh, what, what was been laid on my heart this, this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of those wonderful chapters, the Hall of Faith, it's been called, and speaks about faithful men and women and uses them as examples. And I want to pull a couple things from here uh, for our consideration this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Let's bow our heads. Father, I ask Your blessing now on this time of preaching, and that You would move among us even though we be few in number. You still can do a mighty work. Lord, give me the grace to say what is 
helpful and needful. And let you be glorified in all that is done and said. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see behind me, to my right, to your left, a flag. The old stars and stripes. We see it lots of places. Outside buildings, probably at our place of work. Maybe you even have t-shirts with it on there. We see our flag everywhere, and rightfully so, because it's a symbol of our country. Thirteen stripes for the original 13 colonies. Fifty stars for 50 states. And the colors have meaning too. White for purity and innocence. Red for hardiness and valor. Blue for vigilance, perseverance, and justice. All pieced together to make what is, in my opinion, the most beautiful flag in all of the world. And these colors have long stood for what America stands for. They've led us into battle against terrible enemies. They've crossed oceans and stood on foreign lands to, to lend um, courage to our soldiers as they fought for our freedoms. They've carried us through internal conflicts, external attacks. They've seen a lot of fighting for that freedom. They stand as a declaration of those freedoms. Torn and tattered, but still standing. I'm proud of that flag. I think there was an old Johnny Cash song, if you remember that. That old flag. and It takes place as a conversation. It says, that flag's been through some battles. That flag's seen some things, but I'm mighty proud of that old flag. I feel the same. <laughs> I'm proud of the men and women, the brave men and women who defend that flag. I'm proud of what it stands for. I'm proud of America. And here in this church house, we'll fly the flag. And we'll teach our children to say what they once were taught in school. We'll teach our children to pledge allegiance to it, that we are one nation under God. And we here cherish this wonderful country that we live in. America is a beautiful country. Physically, yes, like literally in our landscape. Man, you can just drive all over this nation and see all kinds of different landscapes and all different types of beauties. You can drive an hour west and you'll be on the, the sparkling expanse of the Pacific Ocean. You can see the beauty along the beaches there. Or you can drive an hour up into the mountains here, in, at least in our our little Southern California area, we've got some mountains here and they're beautiful. Or you can drive a few hours north into the Sierras and see the beauty there. And some people like the desert. God be with you, but it still has its, has its own beauty, doesn't it? It's literally a beautiful country. I, I want to go to the Carolinas. I want to go up the New England coast and see some of the beauty there. I want to see the, the Everglades down in Florida and all that this country has to offer. It's a beautiful country, literally. But it's a beautiful country, country figuratively as well, isn't it? For some deeper things than just the landscape. 
It's beautiful for the freedoms that we enjoy here, unlike any other place on the face of this earth. For the liberties that we have, for some core principles that we were founded on. You see, our forefathers understood the importance of liberty. Feeling oppression in England, feeling the weight of governmental control and in all aspects of life, especially and primarily religious control. So what did they do? <laughs> they literally sailed across the sea and founded their own country. <laughs> That's amazing to me. The, the, the braveness, there's other words that are coming to mind, I can't quite express them. Just, just the, the courage and the braveness and the, the tenacity of these individuals who founded this country. Now yeah, we're going to go start our own. We're going to declare ourselves independent from anyone else. Wow. Amazing individuals, amazing men and women who understood the God-given right of freedom. So they established a country built on that. And I am thankful that I am part of that nation. They built into the fabric of this nation biblical values and biblical principles and biblical freedoms. And let me just say right from the get-go, I believe those are freedoms we ought to support. Those are freedoms we ought to fight for and defend. I, I, I give um, all of my support and all of my approval and all of my thankfulness for men and women who will give uh, their lives in the service of this country. You've seen some of those idiot churches stand out with signs speaking against the troops. It's the same ones that have made the news in the past few decades what is wrong with them? Those are men and women who are willing to put their lives on the line to defend the freedom for you to stand there and say things like that. Yes, I think a church ought to support and be thankful for military men and women. We ought to be thankful for the freedoms that we have and fight for them and defend them. And it's no mistake, I don't, I, it's no mistaking, and I don't have to say it, that those things are under attack, aren't they? We see our freedoms, especially in the day and age that we live in, gradually being chipped away or eaten away at or being legislated away to take the control from the people that was, as it was given to us from our founding in 1776 to giving it to just a group or to the government, which is exactly what we got away from. It's exactly why we were founded, so that wouldn't happen. Now, what is the church to do? To stand idly by and say, oh, oh well. No, I don't think so. I think we ought to stand and fight for the freedoms that we have. We here at Faith Baptist believe we ought to defend this great and precious nation. And some people think it's wrong for me to stand behind a pulpit and discuss these things. Like, isn't there a separation of church and state? Aren't you not supposed to talk about politics? Isn't that supposed to be free, a politic-free zone in a church? Well, listen, there is a thing called separation of church and state, but it's not like you think. It's meant to keep the state out of the church, not the church out of the state. It's meant to keep the state from declaring a national religion, which I'm thankful for. It would kind of be nice if it was Baptist, right? I won't lie. It would be kind of nice if that's what we were supposed to be, but that takes away liberty, doesn't it? And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'll stand beside 
an Islamic person, I'll stand beside a Catholic, I'll stand beside a Buddhist and defend religious liberty. Because the same liberties that they have to worship what they believe is the same liberty we have to worship freely God, don't we? So it's something we ought to defend. It's something we ought to stand for, and it's something that should come from the pulpits. Perhaps part of the problem we're facing is because the church has been so hesitant to get involved. She has been quick to stay silent. And for the past 250 years or so, we've experienced untold blessings. Blessings really unlike anything else in history. Now, we, we, we started reading in the text about this promised land. Now, listen, when I say this, America is not that promised land that we're talking about. So make no mistake, I'm not saying that. But in many ways, America is a land of promise, isn't she? That's why so many people want to come here. That's why so many people are thankful to live here. I mean, think about it. You've got resources all around. If you want to make a good living, if you want to own a piece of land, if you want to build a life for yourself, you can. Just go to work. Work hard and it's there and you can earn it and you can get your, well, what, are they, what have they always called it? Your American dream, right? Because this is a land of opportunity and freedom. And I'm all for people coming here the right way. Let me just, I'll just say it that, say it that way. The right way, the legal way. And that shouldn't surprise us with some things we'll talk about in a bit. Because we got to come to God a certain way, don't we? There's a way to be right with God and we have laws for a reason. And I think this is a wonderful place to come. And on top of that, we have this biblical morality and a fear of God woven into the laws and into the fabric of society that was there for many years. It's woven into the very constitution of the country. Why? That's an important document, the Constitution of the United States. It protects our freedoms. And even the Constitution itself recognizes that these are unalienable rights given to us by who? Our Creator. The Constitution isn't given our freedoms. It simply makes allowances for the freedoms that have already been given to us by God. That's why this country is so wonderful. That's, that's there in our founding as a foundation of America. It's a wonderful place. And there's a certain spirit about Americans too, isn't there? A spirit of fierce freedom. We love our freedoms. We love our liberties. Uh, a spirit of independence. And a little bit of rebelliousness too, right? <laughs> We're not going to let people tell us what to do. We're going to do what we want. It's kind of there in the spirit of our nation. A spirit of brilliant entrepreneurship, a reverence for our Creator. At, le at least there used to be. There used to be. And I say that because I fear it's fading fast. It's fading fast. And listen, regardless of your take on the pandemic and all that we've gone through, there's one thing this past year has crystallized for me. It's that far, far, far too many people are comfortable with control. With being told what to do and how to act and how to think. 
and so many running out in a frenzy-like state of mind to do whatever someone else tells them that they must do. And the attitude that comes with that. Don't question that. Why are you questioning it? Just fall in line. Why, do you, why can't you just sit back and be safe? Why, do you, why don't you just let the government take control and tell us what we should do and shouldn't do? I mean, they, they know best. Why do you have to be so problematic? Why do you have to rebel? And may I say, <laughs> for the same reason, 13 colonies did not just send England on an ungodly amount of taxes and give control, total control to the king. No, they didn't believe and obey every single thing he said. No, they understood what liberty was. And too many today, I think, have forgotten. What's happened to America? What's happened to our spirit of liberty? And we've seen things drastically change, haven't we? Laws left and right that are, that are making sin legal, making anti-biblical laws Anti-biblical values the norm by laws. Things that run directly opposite to the very principles set in place in America at the start. Of course, over and above and beyond the Bible. That is the law of God. But I'm just talking in our country. Things that were placed into our very founding at the start, we are running in opposition to. It's like we're trying to blow holes in our own ship and sink ourselves. Systematic movements to totally erase God from the culture. How has that worked? It hasn't been good, has it? Families broken all across the land. And may I say, it's probably within, I'll just say within the last hundred years that that has skyrocketed. And it is within those last hundred years, specifically probably from the late 50s to early 60s, that society has made a direct departure from God. And therefore, we see these things running rampant through culture. Broken families, uh, drug and alcohol use everywhere, and, and uh, homelessness is rampant. All these things that we see across the land, is that coincidence? No, I don't think so. I think it is a result of walking right away from God. So what should we do? Stay silent? Say, well, serves them right. They ought to know better. At least my family's good. Stay silent while America slides off the cliff? No. No way. I think we ought to stand with the biblical truth in hand and defend those freedoms and defend those principles that America was found on. Be vocal about it. Vote. According to Scripture, I know sometimes that's hard, <laughs> especially with the choices we got nowadays. But we ought to vote our biblical conscience. We ought to be involved in the local communities. Hold offices if you can. There's nothing wrong with a, a servant of God sitting on a city council. In fact, it'd probably be the best thing that could happen. Or running for mayor, or running for governor, or running for president. There's nothing in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not be president of America. No, go for it. That'd be good for the land. We ought to be, what I'm saying is, we ought to be more involved in this nation around us because we are the the last stopgap from total chaos. God's people here on this earth, specifically on, on this 
in this nation is the, law, is the last stopgap, the, the last barrier before total and utter chaos. And we ought to be defending this nation, defending the freedoms, speaking scriptural truth, teaching our children what it means. You know, there's coming, a, there's coming a generation that might not know what World War II was. And if those in control today have their, have their way, it will be erased or it will be minimized. The Holocaust will not be a thing if they have their way. Though I wasn't alive for it, my grandparents were. And so I need to teach my children. This happened. And we as a nation rose against great evil. And we defeated it. Things, Just simple things like that. The things that we teach our children, the things that we are vocal in, helps to protect and preserve the liberties that we have. We ought to pray. Oh, we ought to pray. Scripture says we ought to pray for our leaders. Pray that we can lead a peaceable and quiet life. Pray that God will turn this nation's hearts toward Him again. Because we see the direction she's going. And it's a path that's not new. It's a path that's been traveled by every other great empire, whether it's Babylon or Greece or Rome or any of these others, Egypt that you could look. It's one that ultimately leads to destruction. And our hearts break for that. But it does something for us. It makes some things clear for us, doesn't it? The primary being this. This isn't home. This world is not my home. And though I live in a wonderfully blessed nation, ultimately, America is not my home. Heaven is. Heaven is. Maybe we've gotten a little too comfortable here. A little too comfortable with the wealth and with the acceptance of fellow man and with all that is going on and the blessings here. Maybe we've gotten too comfortable to a point that heaven is a bit hard to want more than stuff that we have here. I think that's a real problem for some. Heaven sounds boring. I like this stuff. But when stuff like or when events like this begin to happen, it helps to wake us up to say, whoa, some things are different about me than about the world. I don't quite fit in like I used to. In fact, I'm beginning to stand out and people are beginning to notice this isn't home. You see, even though we live in a wonderful country, the Bible's clear, we have a better one coming. We have a better one coming. And here's where I want to shift our thinking. Even though we are a part of a physical nation and a physical people as Americans, and that is a wonderful blessing and we ought to fight for it as much as we can and, and stand and support this nation. Don't mistake that, okay? But even though we are part of a physical nation, we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we who have committed our lives to following Him and His church, are part of another nation. We're part of another people. And that nation is God's nation. God's people. And the blessings of being part of His people far outweigh anything here. So I want to look at a few principles in the text this morning. We'll 
we'll just look and see what it says. Look in verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went, and by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We know Abraham. We study him a lot. Doesn't the kids sing a song, Father Abraham? He's the father of faith. And here the writer points to that. He points to the calling of Abraham and the faith that he had. Let me just start right there. That's what our relationship with God has always been built on, isn't it? Faith. Faith. Following Him in faith. Trusting Him in faith that He came to give His life for my sins. Having faith that He can forgive me. Having faith that following Him is, do, is the right thing. And having faith in His promises. Just the same as Abraham does here. Abraham is called by God. He's living in the, the area of Babylon and God calls him and says, Hey, get up, get your family, follow me. I'm not telling you where we're going, but I'm taking you to a good place. Just follow me. Follow me and I will bless you. In fact, the whole call of God on Abraham's life can be summed, summed up in that statement. Follow me, and I'm going to bless you beyond what you can believe. Abraham, who I believe already knows and worships God, is called, and he follows. Doesn't know where he's going. Doesn't know what's going to happen. He just knows that where God will lead him is going to be good. It's going to be far better than where he is. And this inheritance that he's promised is going to be far better than anything that this world can offer. And beloved, the same is true for us today. There is an inheritance that God calls us to. There is a path that God calls us to walk. And that there are blessings that He would give us if we would follow Him. And that same call goes to every believer. Follow me and I will bless you. Give your life to me. Worship me and I will bless you. Most do not do that. Because they don't like the way. They get very much like the children of Israel. Remember when they went out of Egypt? And they've been through the ten plagues. These amazing things. And they go out like a day in. And there's no water. What do they say? Oh, you brought us out here to die. What are we doing out here? I don't like this. Let's go back to Egypt. I don't like this. Man. So many people say the same thing. Can you imagine if Abraham would have started walking with God? Say, hey, you know what? Where are we going? I don't understand. Let me give you directions. In fact, I think we should go this way. This way would be much better, God. Why don't, you, why don't you follow me and bless me at the same time while I tell you where I think we should go? Let me just say, modern mainstream Christianity has exactly that attitude. They don't like the way that God has set forth. They like His salvation. They don't like the way of service. I'm going to do what I want. I'll take my own way, thank you very much. And therefore they don't experience His blessings as they could and as they should. Right from the get-go, it's made clear that God blesses those that follow Him. And this doesn't start with Abraham. Let's, let's just rewind very quickly for just a couple minutes. 
You can see this principle from the very start of humanity. From the very start of humanity. And it happens with the first two kids in the history of man, Cain and Abel. They have Adam and Eve as their parents. You think there'd be some good instruction coming from them, like, hey, I saw God, you better listen, because if not, it's pretty, it's pretty serious when you mess up. So you better do what he says. And Cain, Cain's, just, Cain's number one son, just like his father, a tiller of the ground doing just what Adam was doing as he tended the garden. So was Cain. But Cain takes this, this wonderful gift given by God, meant to glorify God, and he uses it for his own glory, right? Look what I brought out of the ground, God. Shouldn't you be impressed with what I have brought? He doesn't obey. He doesn't follow. And right from then on, you see a distinction. Cain's kids, Cain's grandsons, Cain's great-great-grandsons, all of his descendants, very quickly, you see, they do their own thing. By the way, these are Adam's grandsons and great-great-grandsons too. And he's alive for like 939 years. You don't think Adam would be over there saying, guys, what are you doing? Well, I think he would have. This is not right. You need to do what the Lord asks you to do. But they don't, right? And they build great and amazing things, but... It's all for their own glory and not God's. And what about the other side of the family? Well, there's those who follow, right? Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Seth is a son of promise now too. (laughs) You know what it says about his descendants? They tend sheep. Kind of seems drab when compared to the other side, but... Just maybe they understood how important it was to serve God. And so they gave their lives to doing just that. God has His people who follow Him, and there are those who don't. That distinction is made very clear in Scripture. Abraham is one of those people. He follows in faith in the promises of God, and amazing things happen. Look in verse 11, talks about Sarah and this is in regards to Isaac. They're, they're through, excuse me, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and she was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang even there of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand of, which is by the seashore innumerable. God does great things. He brings a nation from Abraham just like he said he would. From one whose womb was dead comes a nation. Isaac and Jacob who had 12 sons and by the providence of God through Joseph they come down to Egypt, a family. They come out of Egypt, a nation. That's God keeping His promises to those who are faithful to Him. By the way, He's still keeping those promises. Let me just say this. The fact that Israel exists today as a nation is a testament to the promises of God. And we need to pray for Israel. Pray for them in this conflict that they're facing. It blows my mind that our president has not sent help and I don't even think he talks about it much of what's going on over there. That small nation halfway around the world from us, is very special to God. Very special to Him. 
And I understand they might not believe in Jesus and reject Him as Messiah, which He is beyond a doubt. And they will face God individually for that, just as all of us will. But there's been some promises made to that little nation. Promises like they're going to be a nation as long as the sun is in the sky and the moon is in the sky and the rain comes down from heaven. God said that in the Old Testament. Promises that when Jesus returns, they will finally turn to Him. And the fact that they have faced so much and come through so much is a testament to God's promises. But what I want you to know this morning is, is, is that God's people, God's nation, is not confined to one sp- specific piece of land or one culture or boundary. Jesus made that clear when He came and started the church. He came to His own, His own received Him not. And so what does He do? He begins to reach out to all those around about Him. And after His death and resurrection on the cross, He tells His church to preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and teach them to observe all things whatsoever He commanded. And for the past 2,000 years, His church has done just that. We've been representatives of God's people here on the earth, in this world but not of it, ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom on earthly soil. On our way home. On our way to a better country. So keep your finger here. I want you to turn over just a couple pages to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to notice something that Peter says here as he's writing uh, to churches that are scattered Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Ye also as, live, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. You know how many people are offended at Jesus? Not just because of the simple fact that He is Savior, when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. That very simple fact is offensive to many people. Does it change the fact that He is Savior? No. But they stumble at the rock. But Jesus also built His church, didn't He? I will build My church upon this rock. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many, many people stumble at the truth of His church and being part of His people. Verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy what? Nation. We are a chosen, precious people. A priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness to His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. You see what Peter does? He takes language from Deuteronomy and from 
things that are said to Israel and he applies it to the church. We as God's people are a chosen generation, a people unlike any other on the face of this earth, a holy nation. We weren't the people of God before, but now we are. Ephesians makes that clear, that we are brought near by the blood and the body of Christ. To say it very simply, the Scripture is clear that God's people today are His New Testament church. His people. And that's a term you really don't hear anymore. New Testament church. You ever heard the term Orthodox Jew? You've heard that, right? You know what that means. That's somebody who like straight up still abides by the Mosaic law and the things that are found in the Old Testament. They've, they've usually got the nice hats and the sideburns and all that. They don't eat pork. They don't, they don't eat anything that's against the law. We understand what that means when, by that term Orthodox Jew. Well, we use that term, New Testament church, very specifically. And it means a church that holds to and teaches exactly what the Bible does. And let me just tell you, the the Christian world today is losing its mind. The religious world, let me just put it that way, is losing its mind. I, I see transgender pastors being put in places over churches and openly gay pastors with husbands or pastors with female pastors with wives being put in places, churches and Women pastors being ordained. There's a reason I say the things that I do. The New Testament is very important. And we must be part of a church that teaches what the New Testament does. The word church is so convoluted and diluted and confused nowadays that that's why I use the terms that I do. A New Testament church. God's people are those that abide by and submit themselves to what the New Testament says, which is what the Old Testament says, what the Bible says. A biblical church. That's a good word right there. A biblical church. God's people today are those who follow what the Bible says for salvation, for service, for everyday living, all of it. We are a chosen generation, a peculiar people. And make no mistake, those churches that hold to to, uh, what the Bible says are becoming very peculiar in the landscape as well. You still sing those hymns? You still wear a suit and tie? Those are issues that are way down on the list, but people notice that, right? What do you mean Jesus is the only way for salvation? What do you mean we have to be baptized? What do you mean we need to be part of His church? What do you mean about all this and that? It stands out because it is becoming so confused. Yet God's people stand as a peculiar people, a noticeable people, a holy nation. Not only in the physical nation, but in the religious world around us. We stand proudly as God's people, as Paul says, ambassadors for Christ. This church house, though it has nothing to do with the physical land that we stand in, it's because we are here. This is a little piece of heaven on earth. A little piece of our homeland, and we represent that homeland of heaven as we go out into the world around us. We are His people, yet... Here we have no physical nation. 
We have no land to call our own. Well, that's because our land is not of this earth. <laughs> our land, our city, our true home is yet to come. So let's finish up with that thought. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says, He looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking and trusting in a heavenly home, a heavenly city. And beloved, we do the same today, right? My home is yet to come because my home has no tears. We read that this morning. My home has no sorrow. My home has no death. No more separation from God. The cities here crumble. The society here crumbles. There's crying and there's death and there's pain. There's anxiety. There's oppression. There's sickness. Not where I'm going. Not where I'm going. No, heaven is my home. And in my Father's house are many mansions. And my Savior told me He's going there to prepare a place for me and He's going to come back to take me home. I can't see that place, but I believe it by faith. You see, I'm looking just as you are. We're looking for a city whose foundations are made by God, whose builder and maker is God. Just the same as Abraham, just the same as the apostles, we look for that heavenly home. So right now I'm following in faith, being obedient to do what He's asked me to do as I walk as a pilgrim in this land on my way home. Can you say the same this morning? Or are you too concerned about doing your own thing? Thinking it's going to work all out in the end and there's going to be some scales and good and eat and evil equal out and all the things that people have in their head. No, the Bible's very clear. We must come by faith to Jesus and believe in Him as Savior. We must commit our lives through baptism into His local church to serve Him. That's what God asks us to do. Follow me and I will bless you. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them. Are you persuaded of the truth of Scripture? You know, there's some things we can be persuaded of, that we're just going to hit the lottery or that we're just going to get this and make this plan become right and my retirement's all going to work out. There's some things on this earth that we're persuaded of when we ought to be fully fledged, persuaded, and given over in faith to the promise of God of what is yet to come. These people of faith were. They heard God's Word. They trusted in it and embraced it and confessed, this world's not home. I'm just a stranger here. And though we live in a wonderful country, we've experienced countless blessings. It needs to be clear and we need to confess that this world is not home. We're just strangers here. Can you say that? Or are you pretty dang comfortable here? And you're getting all the stuff that you can. Because the next big purchase sounds greater and the next raise sounds better than heaven. And heaven, quite frankly, sounds boring and blah. So why would I want to leave anything? Why would I want to sacrifice anything when I really like this stuff here? Way too many people... Way too many of God's people think just that way. 
And the promises of God only mean something to us if they have earthly value to me. I'll take God's blessings if it means a raise. I'll take God's blessing if it means recovering from cancer and my loved ones never getting sick. I'll take those blessings. When you start talking about sacrifice and, and the call of God, even like Abraham, hey, get up, get your family and follow me. You're going where I say. It's going to be good, but you need to follow. You start talking like that and people tune out. They're too at home in this world. Maybe we need to start confessing, you know what, I'm just a stranger here. I'm just a pilgrim here. You see, we've been given some promises that we hold to by faith and we see them far off and we're persuaded of them and we embrace them. We must see past the now to the eternal. Verse 14, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they had came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. You see, we're seeking a country and we've got to be careful that we don't get too caught up in this world or we'll find ourselves turning back around and saying the same things as Egypt. Oh, I miss the onions and I miss the leeks and I miss all of this blah, blah, blah that was back there where I was a slave and I wasn't free. And too many of God's people can say the same thing. Instead of keeping their eyes on what the promises of God, they can start really wanting some things now that will enslave us and that will take us away from God. So I ask you, which one is it? Which home are we looking for? Or is our mind so full of here and now that this is home? There is so much more that waits for us. So much more promises. Don't identify yourself by the wrong things. So, uh, I can identify myself many different ways. I'm an employee for Cisco Foods of Riverside. It's part of who I am. It's what I've done for the past 20 years. And it's a good job. The Lord is blessed in it. But I'm also a father and a husband. Which one do you think takes precedence? One better. Let me just say that right now. One better. That's being a dad and being a husband. Yes, I'm an employee here. But when I come to identify myself by just between those two, being dad and, and husband is going to be far above, right? In the same way, I'm an American but I'm also part of God's people here at this local church. They're both valid, but in the end, which takes precedence? It better be God's people. Right? Be careful how you identify yourself. And too many people have chosen the wrong identity. And what this passage is telling me, among many things, we could dive so deep, we just don't have time today. Those people by faith could look beyond the here and now and see the promises of God, even though they're far off. And even though it's maybe hard for our human mind to grasp, they could see it, they held to it in faith, and so they followed God. Because they're seeking a better country. Verse 16, Now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called to God, for He hath prepared for them a city. We today are looking for that better country. We are, our hearts are longing for that heavenly home that waits for us. 
for those great and precious promises that, has, that God has given. And maybe this morning you need to stop again and think about it. Maybe you're facing a lot of chaos, or maybe everything's just going fine, or maybe what's going on doesn't bother you in politics and the world arena, or maybe it really does. Regardless, you need to stop and think that God has given us some promises. Someday this will all be over. There won't be any more of this world. And that can go two sides. All the stuff you've worked so hard for is going to burn up in a flash. Money, homes, possession. In the end, it means nothing. It's ashes. Though it has an important place, in the end, would you hold on to that rather than the promises of God? And on the other side, think of this. All the things that come along with this world, the pain, the sorrow, the loss, all the fighting, the rejection of God, all that will be gone because as Revelation 22 says, there will be no more curse. There will be perfect peace and perfect justice and joy unspeakable and reunion with loved ones and eternity in being with Him if we would follow the call He gives us now. So my question is simply, will you? Will I? Will I hold to that promise in faith and therefore live my life for Him? Will I declare that plainly? I want to finish on this thought. Look at verse 14. For they that say such things, namely that they're pilgrims and strangers on this earth, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. You see, it used to be that the church had a spirit about her too. A spirit of fierce freedom from the weights of the world. A spirit that was driven to share the gospel with those around. Eager to invite people to church. Eager to share a meal with those who might be wandering away from God. Eager to share the right way of serving Him and consumed with the promises to come. We sing songs out of an old book, very old book, Heavenly Highway Hymns. You know how many songs there are about heaven in here? A lot. Where do you think that comes from? As people sat down and let heaven consume their mind. Man, this is coming. I need to get ready for that. I need to tell others about that. I need to declare that plainly. And nowadays, it seems like Christians are consumed with just about everything else. Holding to some spiritual form of socialism when the call of God is to follow Him. You know, just as much as we need to fight for the freedoms that we have in this nation, perhaps it's time we ought to stand up for God's nation more. And be clear, listen, there's a plan that God has. There's a people that God calls you to be a part of. Will you follow? I don't want you to be mistaken how I feel when it comes to this great nation. I love America. It's a wonderful place to live in. And I feel greatly blessed by God to do so. And these freedoms we ought to stand for. 
to resist those who would take it from us. And I think it right to do that. However, at the same time, we must realize that this is not heaven. This is not home. I'm on my way home to heaven. And that is the nation I must be more proud of. That is the nation I must identify more with and speak and defend more God's people. See, if it, if it keeps going the way things are, there might come a time I cease to fly that flag in our church house. If we even have one. <laughs> but it just all goes to show there's more coming for us. An eternal city, a heavenly country built by God, prepared for His people, His people that He is not afraid to claim. You know, it seems to be, as of late, with all these things that are going, um, that there's been a resurgence of pride in America. You see people being more patriotic than they have in quite a while. Maybe a, a little bit of return to the roots of this nation. <laughs> Maybe the same needs to happen with the church. Get back to our roots and the promises that we have and a little bit more pride. Let's pray. Father, I come before you. I thank you for this time that we've had together, Lord. I thank you first for this wonderful nation that you've given to us and the freedoms that we have and your hand in bringing all of that about. We are truly blessed to be here, to be able to worship in freedom and to declare your truth freely and boldly. I thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to preserve this nation as long as you see fit, Lord, that we would enjoy the freedoms here and stand for them. I thank you for that and is a blessing, Lord. With above and beyond that, over and above, I thank you for calling us to be a part of your people and your nation, Lord, through your Son Christ and His body, the church, and all of the promises that you've given of, of being with you eternally and ruling and reigning and of rewards that wait if we would be faithful that you would think to bestow that upon us as sinners saved by grace, Lord, I am humbled. Help me to hold to those promises, Lord. Help us to help our hearts to be taken by it and to be consumed with it that we might make those the focus of our thoughts and of our life as we seek to be pleasing to you and follow you as these faithful people did we read about. I thank you for this nation, Lord, but above and beyond all, I thank you for your nation and your people your spiritual people, Lord. Please use this message as you see fit, Lord. If there's any here that did not know you as Savior, that you would draw their hearts so they can be born again to be your child, Lord. And if there's those that haven't um, submitted themselves to be part of your people, that you would draw their heart to do so. Use it as you see fit, Lord. Help us to be a light in this world. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.